So you've got all of these people working together from different fields. How do you stop them from killing each other? <laughs> Sometimes you sacrifice yourself as the uh, leader, uh, I would say. Today, we are talking about AI and data science in pharma. And we're speaking with Bulent Kaziltan, who's with Novartis, one of the largest pharmaceutical companies in the world. Yes, my, my title is the Head of Causal and Predictive Analytics at Novartis. Uh, our organization is called the AI Innovation Lab. Uh, and what we do is we uh, drive the internal AI innovation across Novartis uh, and also position ourselves in the intersection of academia, tech, and the business units where we think AI innovation will really happen. And this is, this is what we do. Uh, we are trying to really build an operation, operational excellence with diverse talent coming on board, engaging the domain experts from drug development and uh, discovery so we can really reinvent uh, some of the processes, speed them up, uh, make them low cost as possible because we know drug discovery and development has been slowing down over the last five to 10 years, mainly because the cost and also uh, the uh, uh, slowing down of the process because uh, scaling up the whole process has been really very difficult. So AI comes in uh, to rescue, we hope, and a lot of pharmaceutical companies are investing in this area. But AI and data science in general can operate in one of two ways. Uh, one way is to be use case driven. Um, and in, in those cases, they're providing these services to business units. And the other uh, case is where we position ourselves is to be at the intersection of academia, where um, most of the interesting know-how is being produced between tech, where we need that technological development and um, infrastructure to really scale things up and the business units. So once we produce know-how, bring it to novel applications and are being empowered by our technology partners is where we're pushing the needle. What is your role at the AI Innovation Lab? I'm the head of cause and predictive analytics, and uh, almost anything we do has to do with predictive analytics or data science or machine learning. But in addition to those, we uh, put an emphasis on causal learning and causal discovery, uh, which is, uh, we believe, the next frontier in implementing uh, information extraction from data. But also in data science, typically how those teams are being perceived is they work with big data. And whenever there is a limited amount of data, uh, the uh, value proposition declines. And we want to make sure that you know, we cover the whole spectrum all the way from small data to big data, because those terms are vaguely defined and we don't have a clear way of quantifying small and big data. So me and my team, we built those core capabilities where we can really extract interesting information from limited data all the way to uh, big data, as we call it, where uh, all the data coming from different streams and mo modalities can be used and leveraged in forecasting. Can you give us a sense of the kind of strategies that you employ as you're thinking through these problems? And really, can you can you take us through the 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 end to end way that that you think about? this issue of using data science and using AI in pharma, but, but also more broadly, because I think that will help give us some context. AI in general, the operations have interesting constraints. And for, for many, many years, we have been articulating 
you know, what are the top parameters that is determining the success and failure of data science operations? And counterintuitively, we've seen that culture and leadership profile comes in the in, in top two. And until very recently, uh, even though we are sharing our anecdotal experience, uh, we didn't really justify our uh, experience with data. Uh, very recently, I have been a part of a global benchmark study to look at uh, companies across the globe, thousands of companies that are small, big, come from different domains. And uh, uh, lo and behold, we've seen that culture and the leadership is critically important in success. So then we talk about AI in large company versus smaller company or startup. All those operational pipelines and priorities have to be very different. In the startup space, um, the priorities, the timelines, the regulations are very different as opposed to larger companies. There is uh, the constraint of a settled culture, there is inertia, there's, there are different business units with different priorities. So there is a lot of uh, cross business unit talk in larger companies. And then when we add another layer of sophistication of being in the pharma and biotech space, we start to talk about regulations, uh, about data privacy, which is very, very important. We take those very seriously, but uh, those uh, pose additional constraints to the operations because data access is number one and data understanding is number two. So we wanna make sure that we leverage technology uh, to uh, lift those bottlenecks and uh, barriers in our operations. So this is where we start. Well, you raise a very interesting point. You began with uh, culture and leadership and only then did you move into the subject of data and nowhere did you even talk about algorithms. What we've seen over and over is the technology that we use for on the ground execution is somewhere between standard statistics and innovative uh, machine learning. So in between, and as I said, in, in a larger company setting, uh, we have to interact with domain experts on a regular basis. We have to work with different business units, with the engineering units, with the IT, and there a technical competency uh, comes not at the top in, in terms of reaching success, making uh, the um, project work and executing on the ground. So we need to really leverage all those different aspects of an end-to-end -end pipeline. And then once we look into the data, more often than not, we start with small data and then incrementally uh, enrich the information with additional data that we have. And that is an Herculean effort to pull in data coming from different streams and even augment the information with publicly available data that are coming from our collaborators and partners. And then we actually start talking about incrementally making our approach more sophisticated and benchmark as we go to more sophisticated algorithms and models to see whether uh, it provides any value. And then from the very beginning, we have to start the conversation with regulators and the uh, units that will use that information. Is that going to be useful? Is that going to be sanctioned by the decision makers? So there are really multiple angles to the whole uh, data science and AI operations. So really the technology aspect, technical competence, as you just described it, is, can we say, is the enabler, it is a necessary, but certainly not sufficient condition for success in the work that you do. Yes, uh, you summarized this just uh, uh, correctly, Mike. Uh, it's definitely necessary to push the frontier in AI and execution on the ground, but without the right leadership 
and the culture, uh, the value proposition of AI is only short term. I mean, if you want to sustain the value proposition for the long term, and you have to build a culture and a company around that. And I, I think I am very lucky and privileged to be at Novartis because uh, we have set the unbossed culture and not as a choice, but it is necessary to really make the impact on the ground to really reimagine medicine, as we call. Boulant, tell us then about the composition of your team. How do you hire? Who do you hire? What are the kinds of roles and, and especially what are the characteristics of the people that you're that you're bringing in? AI innovation, especially data science, is a very interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary domain. So we want to make sure that we attract talent from different disciplines who can bring in the value, the mindset that they bring from their own domain into our operations. Certainly, data science, machine learning, core capabilities are necessary, but we're open to all backgrounds. As you and your audience might know, I am trained as an astrophysicist, have done neutron stars and black hole astrophysics for most of my career. But in that domain, uh, I work very closely with applied mathematicians, uh, machine learning pioneers to bring in some of those technologies uh, into the domain of astrophysics back then. And uh, extracting information from limited data is essentially what we've done uh, that is combined with domain knowledge in astrophysics. And this is, this is what we do today in the domain of healthcare, biotech, and medicine. So, so we are very cognizant of the fact that uh, diversity is not only a choice, again, it's a necessity really to think out of the box and innovate in the space of AI. So, um, and, and currently we're obviously growing our teams and, and looking for that uh, sort of talent that can bring in the core capabilities that is necessary with machine learning, but they can come from physics, mathematics, psychology. Uh, I had worked with people coming from sociology, economics, you name it. So this notion of diverse teams, bringing people with different kinds of backgrounds from different disciplines, sounds like it's foundational for you to accomplish your goals. Yes, absolutely. I mean, we certainly could uh, operate and execute at an adequate level with uh, a, just an homogenous a talent pool, but we've seen it over and over that diverse talent brings in really interesting ideas. And that is the place where innovation happens. So diversity is a must. We have a question from Twitter, and this is from Arsalan Khan. He's a regular listener. He asks great questions. And I love when questions come in because what an opportunity. If you're listening, man, you should you should be asking your questions and leaving your comments. Anyway, Arsalan Khan says, everyone talks about culture, which is either an obstacle or an opportunity. If everybody knows this, then why is culture so difficult? And how do you think about culture and do metrics come into play? So it's really the culture question and how do you manage that? Since it's, you said it's a foundational building block. It is. And, you know, uh, what we've seen again, I mean, this comes from a lot of benchmark studies uh, across the globe. Uh, a culture uh, cannot change bottom up, unfortunately, in companies. And th that's what, what we see. So it has to be uh, empowered from the very top. So unless you have a company uh, 
uh, that is conducive to uh, data science operations. Uh, this is primarily an interdisciplinary endeavor. Uh, and if the company is not data driven, it takes only anecdotal experience uh, into consideration in the decision making process. It's very difficult to push against that inertia. So certainly it can be possible to run data science operations in companies that are very traditional. Um, you have decision makers that have been in the domain for 15, 20, 30 years, but they don't have an appreciation for data-driven decision-making. Whereas in our company, I must say, again, I, we are very privileged to have that mindset in place. Uh, we are evolving to be a, a data-driven company. All the decisions are data-driven, and this is why me and my team and my organization is cutting across Novartis, uh, interacting not only with drug discovery and development, but uh, with all units, including finance, including manufacturing, you name it. So, so top to bottom, uh, cultural empowerment is critically important. Talk to us about domain knowledge. I think it's obvious that you need to have the technical chops around data science, machine learning, so forth. But what about the science domain knowledge, the biology, chemistry, and, and so on? We cannot operate without them. We are blind without domain experts. So uh, creating that interface is one of my uh, uh, responsibilities to bring in teams together to um, interact and understand each other. The language difference uh, is one of the obstacles. So what we do uh, as a part of our uh, operations is really listen in to the key questions that is coming from the domain experts and try to translate that into data science language so we can really build the roadmap uh, for the analysis, the uh, data science operations together. And the cadence has to be obviously customized to the unit that you are interacting with so that there is a lot of uh, cross-disciplinary interaction and it's one place that sometimes uh, data science operations are not as successful. So this is where leadership comes in to speak the language of both sides in order to build a successful roadmap by which you can execute. What are the characteristics that you look for as you're hiring? A diverse background uh, certainly uh, is, is, is crit critically important. Um, so the, the pharmaceutical uh, domain has been known to be very conservative and requiring domain expertise from uh, biology and medicine, which definitely adds to uh, the uh, operations. Uh, but we basically hire from all sorts of backgrounds and we can weigh accordingly. If they come with a very strong machine learning engineering background, IT backgrounds uh, really play a critical role. Um, biomedical knowledge, whether they use some of the algorithms that we are developing or using, uh, those are all uh, going into the decision-making process. So I cannot tell you we're looking for this or that. We're looking at, uh, uh, at the whole interviewing process case by case basis. But uh, soft skills, again, is critically important, as I said, which is sometimes uh, something that I emphasize when I give talks to uh, students at, at programs and they're asking me what they should be investing into. And they're expecting me to talk about Python, scikit-learn, some of the technology. And I say, you know, you, you know, you know what to do in the technical domain, but something that you may not know is to invest in your soft skills because communication with domain experts and being able to understand and listen carefully in order to really understand the problem is critically important. And, um, you know, I, I will say this to my friends who are technically inclined, listening is not always our strong suit. So, so we really need to be listening in, 
understanding, empathizing, is seeing the whole problem from a 360 degree angle in order to really execute and be successful. So you've got all of these people working together from different fields. How do you stop them from killing each other? <laughs> Sometimes you sacrifice yourself as the uh, leader, uh, I would say. But, you know, I've been very lucky in that sense. But uh, sometimes you go into an operation where certainly uh, people come from different backgrounds, different cultures, uh, where certain communication sensitivities might not be in place. And then, you know, we as leaders have all the soft power to gear the conversation in the right direction. But I've been very lucky in that sense. Uh, somebody, uh, so, so far, nobody killed each other. Uh, but in that sense, again, it, it falls on to the leader to really gear the conversation, uh, use the soft power to really focus on the problem uh, rather than uh, making it personal. Can you give us some insight into the kinds of problems that you're tackling? Obviously, I'm not asking you to, to share confidential information, but give us help us understand the nature of the, the problems that you're solving or trying to address. And those are obviously the problems uh, faced by the larger biotech and healthcare industry is to how do we really customize uh, medicine, treatment, and that customization at scale, uh, we believe can only happen with the help of AI. So precision medicine is uh, one focus area for every pharmaceutical company, biotech and healthcare company, and leveraging the technology that is developed in the domain of AI is critically important. It definitely will redefine that whole uh, domain. The other areas is where we really develop and discover uh, compounds and drugs. Uh, generative chemistry, to be more technical, is an area where uh, AI and machine learning is making um, an impact. There are lots of companies who are leveraging data science, AI, and machine learning to uh, augment the development process, but also discover new compounds. And again, uh, previously, uh, those were done only in the lab. It was a, a painstakingly uh, uh, short uh, and uh, a difficult process. With AI, we may be able to uh, do that all in silico in the computer. We can simulate, we can come up with a priority list of compounds and then talk to our domain experts whether what we find makes sense or it's, it's totally crazy. We have a, a really interesting question from Elizabeth Shaw and she asks on Twitter, how will causal and predictive analytics impact the development of therapeutics and ultimately affect patient care? Causal learning and causal discovery as a domain has not converged with machine learning yet. So we are uh, hoping to be at the frontier. We are building collaborations, partnerships with the pioneers of that field in order to uh, leverage that technology in discovering uh, new causal relationships, either at the compound level or at the patient level. So we can really... Uh, use precision medicine to customize the therapeutics, the dose, uh, you name it. it. It will basically penetrate all parts of the development and discovery process uh, when it comes to uh, biomedicine. Is it fair to say that the, broadly the two areas that you're very involved in are precision medicine and then using data science and then and, and AI and then drug discovery trying to uncover new molecules or design new molecules? 
This is the ex exploration part. Yes, we are very much involved in it. Those are our primary focuses, but also we are empowering um, associates uh, across the company uh, to really uh, convert them into citizen data scientists so that they can use data in all their decision-making process, not only in drug discovery and development, but, but all across the company. Connect the dots of why you're involved in that. I don't want to shift the focus here too much, but I tend to think of that as an IT task as opposed to an AI innovation lab activity. Yeah. So IT is definitely a very close partner into what we do. We couldn't survive without them, but they are on the technology and uh, um, infrastructure side of things, which is essential to scale up the technology. But the uh, brain behind what we plan to do and aiming to do has to do with machine learning, statistics, all the way from small data to big data, depending on uh, what level of sophistication that we use, but the brains, the engine, if you will, uh, around that car uh, is uh, data science and AI, whereas the infrastructure, the car itself, maybe the tires come uh, in collaboration with IT so we can put the uh, car on the road and we can drive it. So you're thinking about the the end-to-end -end process, not just about what you're doing, but where you fit in into the broader context. Yes, and without that vision, uh, AI cannot survive uh, in isolation. And this is uh, uh, why some of the AI operations has uh, have failed to produce value in the long term is because they have been isolated. They haven't built that cadence and interaction with different business units. So this is where soft skills, strategic thinking uh, comes into play uh, to really sustain the value proposition of AI operations. What, what are some of the challenges that you face with drug discovery, with precision medicine? There is a lot happening, right? Uh, so uh, even though we have very diverse, uh, a diverse pool of talent, it's sometimes really challenging to keep up with uh, what's happening in the domain. And this is why one of the tasks that I have uh, taken over and tried to contribute is to build that interface with those R&D driven and academic institutions really to understand the long-term vision and roadmap uh, of that technology where it's going. So really keeping up to date with uh, the direction of the technology has been uh, really very difficult, but I think we're doing a really a good job in that sense as well. And then uh, on the execution side, again, uh, there are always internal uh, inertias, bottlenecks, depending on uh, the um, uh, domain that one uh, is operating in, and certainly pharma and biotechnology, uh, we're not short of uh, bottlenecks and pain points, which we're trying to address as one team. So what are the kind of challenges that you face and your, or that your team faces? Engaging different business units, really, it takes time to understand the problem, translating that problem into a data science uh, understandable problem and quantifiable problem takes some time and it's sometimes painful. But I think we have uh, reached an optimal point internally uh, where we have a, a really effective a pipeline where we interact, convert, uh, we push the needle in terms of innovation, execute on the ground. And so, so uh, I would say, you know, we, we, we are very lucky internally. And externally, what I see in general in AI operations is uh, people have strong opinions, but we have to realize that uh, in a data-driven environment, those strong opinions have to be held weekly, uh, meaning you know, we have to update our opinions on our strategy 
and customize and adapt to incoming information. And sometimes we, we don't see that often that strategies are being adapted to new incoming information. Bulent, you mentioned big data and small data. Maybe elaborate on that for us and give us the context of where it fits into your work. AI in general is moving from a model a centric to data centered operation uh, and strategies have to build, be built around what data is available. And more often than not, uh, specifically in healthcare, uh, also in biotechnology and pharmaceuticals, we are somewhere in between small data and big data. And as in data science operations, if all your uh, core capabilities are geared towards big data, you may become obsolete at some point because you, you really have a hammer and you're trying to basically formulate um, every problem accordingly. Whereas our operations and my team, we have core capabilities all the way from standard statistics, applied mathematics, Bayesian statistics, to standard machine learning, to uh, innovative generative learning, all the way to contrastive learning, even beyond. So, so we are trying to really have a broader view of extracting information from data, not only with uh, deep learning or machine learning, but we want to really look at the whole spectrum of what information might be available. Uh, so more often than not, innovation actually happens uh, around small data, how we extract information and then implement and innovate and augment that all uh, information with uh, bigger data with simulations sometimes or publicly available data, but it's an incremental process. Cindy Housen on LinkedIn points out that culture remains the top barrier to being data-driven. How do you, and you've you know, really elaborated on that, so very pointedly, how do you overcome that in your group? We are very lucky in our company and within our group, we are data-driven, uh, but what we see more often than not, it's a journey on which we need to embark uh, as a team and as an organization always. So it, there is always mutual education uh, and to we all need to keep an open mind and embark on that journey together, whether it's a digitiz digitization, uh, the digital transformation journey, and then being data-driven. It's, it's a cultural journey that uh, all stakeholders have to be partners in. And we have another question from Twitter. We have a few questions. So uh, Diana McKenzie, who used to be the CIO of Workday, and now she's on the board of a number of life sciences companies, and she's been a guest on CXO Talk. She says, are you taking any unique approaches to educate and engage a broader team of associates at Novartis by providing access to and understanding of AI approaches. So in other words, are you engaging with the broader Novartis community about AI, what it can do and how it works? It's a journey that we need to embark on. This is exactly what I meant. We need to, and we are creating opportunities across the company to engage associates, not only who are doing data science and bioinformatics, but the decision makers as well. We have lots of one-on-one -on -one conversations with decision makers on, on what we do, how we do it, our core capabilities that extends from small data all the way up to big data. But we also have internal conferences, meetings uh, that we engage. We have cluster talks. Uh, we keep uh, up to date with the technology. We have lots of opportunities internally and that, that those are critically important 
to be effective learners on that journey. I have a follow-up question for you. Why are you doing that? Because what do people across the company, why do people across the company really have to have expertise in AI? AI and machine learning are just a means to really drive uh, data-driven decisions and really understand the risks that are associated with it. Namely, we can quantify appropriately the risk in the whole decision-making process, regardless of what units we're talking with. And we are trying to reimagine medicine, really provide therapeutics to patients. We want to expedite that process. We want to customize uh, our therapeutics and doses. We want to really uh, help the patients and contribute to the society. So all of those are intimately linked to the decisions that we make and the risks associated with it. So without proper measures, and machine learning is doing a wonderful job in really quantifying and giving us a realistic projection and forecast of the risks that are involved, it helps us really leverage that risk forecast in our decision-making process. This is regardless of the subdomain. It can be related to manufacturing, finances, uh, even uh, biological research. But Machine learning is one of those marvel technologies that helps us really scale up that decision-making process, ingest information, even combine information that are coming from different domains that are not necessarily homogenous, which is one area that only, as far as I can see, machine learning really can help the decision-makers. It sounds like uh, embracing the broader community helps your team remain grounded in not just the research problems, the abstract research problems, but also the down on the ground realities of delivering what will ultimately become products into the market. It helps you stay connected. Absolutely. Innovation can happen two ways. One of them is uh, developing those algorithms, uh, but also uh, innovation by definition happens when there are novel applications. And being disconnected on both ends of the spectrum, I think, uh, stifles the value proposition of AI. So being grounded, executing at the same time, uh, learning about the frontier and contributing to the domain of, of AI, I think is, is crucial. So there is kind of a cycle where you contribute to the domain, you ingest some of that technology, you execute on the ground, and you come up with novel problems and data sets and go back to the domain experts and combine that information in order to keep the innovation cycle going. And we have another question from Twitter. You can, you can tell I really try to prioritize the questions that come from the audience on both Twitter and LinkedIn. Arsalan Khan comes back and he wants to know about biases in the data. So how do you handle data that either that has inherent bias and can skew decisions and uh, bias on the, the team. So the, the bias question, how do you address that? Yep, it's an active area of research, right? I mean, we engage the domain experts from uh, different disciplines that try to address uh, this particular problem. There might be sampling biases, there might be algorithmic biases, there might be data-driven biases. So th those are all... Uh, things that we need to address early on. And uh, once we come up with a forecast or a prediction, we uh, have uh, 
certain steps that we take to make sure that we are not biased to a level where it will affect the decision making. But I must say it's a uh, really actively developing domain, and I'm, I'm yet to see a really strong uh, quantitative uh, uh, perspective and methodology that will help us really address. It has to be taken use case by use case, and we need to go, and we are going really step-by-step uh, step incrementally to address some of those issues, but it's a great question. How is all of this different from the traditional approach to drug discovery? So our colleagues uh, have been working tirelessly in the lab, trying to manually produce, working with chemists, trying to come up with new compounds, and then go incrementally in applying it to uh, cells and see under the microscope how they behave. And depending on the properties they want, it's a very manual process and very difficult to scale. And th this is one of the issues which uh, machine learning and AI is helping, is scaling up and uh, uh, making that process faster. So by, by doing that, we already are lifting some of the barriers in uh, the uh, compound production and discovery process. But what we also can do nowadays with technology uh, is to come up with uh, novel compounds with, with, within the computer and then come up with a list of compounds with predicted properties and then uh, talk to our chemists, uh, domain experts to really try uh, if it makes sense, uh, some of those compounds. And there have been companies uh, that have demonstrated that those in silico produced uh, compounds with predicted properties actually uh, do exist. And so, so we are basically making the strides in that uh, novel discovery space as well. How do you work with the lab-based folks who are working on using traditional methods? Is there a cross-pollination or how do you, how do you, would you collaborate? We have uh, obviously meetings with, uh, within the clusters, we exchange ideas and depending on the use case, on the problem set that we are um, uh, tackling, we have those meetings, as many of them, sometimes too many, um, to tackle the problem, to understand the problem and to uh, push things forward. But yes, one-on-one uh, -on -one interaction is still uh, the only way to move things forward. Can you share advice in general to business leaders who want to apply these lessons and apply AI to their own business, whether it's in healthcare or pharma or not? Those AI strategies and experiences um, cannot be applied uh, to everywhere, right? Strategy has to be customized to the operations, to the priorities, to the culture, to the bottlenecks and barriers that an operation has. So we cannot have a strategy uh, that we can apply to uh, multiple places. So a domain expert with experience uh, has to go and really analyze what the problems are, analyze the operational structure and make recommendations accordingly. So take my advice with a grain of salt, but those are the things that are evolving and should be really dynamically adapted to uh, any company setting. How do you decide and how should business leaders in general decide which problems are appropriate to likely have a solution or can be or you can use these techniques in order to make real progress? And and at the same time, which problems should you just stay away from? Data is the key. I mean, understanding the data, what information is available is key in making that strategic decision. Sometimes you can 
have a very talented uh, uh, pool of uh, researchers that can go in, but if the information is not there, they don't have a magic wand to come up with a prediction and forecast that doesn't have uncertainties associated with it. So understanding what data you have available, and if you don't, uh, bringing that data in, recording high quality data is step number one. Have another question from Twitter and again from Diana McKenzie. And she says, do you know if anybody has successfully patented an AI algorithm used to advance a therapeutic in discovery research or clinical development? Yes, uh, patenting algorithms is an active area of discussion. I know of algorithm algorithms that have been patented. Um, and uh, I know companies have different preferences in that regard. And also within the domain of AI, um, uh, pioneers have been discussing, you know, what those patents mean, but there have been uh, patents algorithms and the number is increasing uh, as we are moving forward. So going back to the issue of choosing the problem, okay, can you elaborate further on that? You said data is the key. What are the, what are other characteristics of a good problem to look at with data science and AI? Then we have to really customize our approach according to uh, company priorities, the vision, um, what impact area uh, the team has a focus on. Uh, there, there, there are all sorts of parameters that go into the decision-making process. Also, what type of talent you have, what your core capabilities are, how you are embarking on that journey. Do we have strong technological partners? Do we have the IT infrastructure in place? So data is number one. And then infrastructure, I would say, is number two. And then talking with domain experts to really identify some of the high impact problems, I think, is where I personally get very excited in engaging domain experts because we want to make an impact in the society and we want to improve the lives of patients. And we know where we're lacking in the biotech and pharmaceutical space. So we need we then sit down and prioritize the key clinical questions to really understand based on the infrastructure we have and the data we, we have, what are the questions we can tackle and really push the needle a bit to contribute to the society, contribute to uh, a better lives uh, uh, with our patients? How can we really, and then uh, contribute to the domain of AI, which is one of our uh, focus areas as well, is not only focusing on our own domain, but also contributing to the domain of AI in return so we can really uh, uh, be one community in pushing the technology forward. So data infrastructure and domain expertise, which then means that the choice of problem is dependent upon having a fairly elaborate infrastructure built already. Yes, it's a Herculean effort, Michael. I mean, uh, it's, it's very difficult to appreciate from the outside, but uh, building that infrastructure that talks to each other effectively where data is streaming in from different areas where there are lots of regulations and places and Herculean effort. And we're very lucky to have wonderful partners internally and externally. Belent, as we finish up, any final thoughts about this domain, the domain in which you're working that you would like to share? I, I used to have the chance and privilege to get together with uh, the pioneers of the field. And uh, just before COVID hit, we were um, uh, hosting Jan LeCun from uh, Facebook AI at Harvard to give a talk about uh, energy-based algorithms, some of the uh, work that they have been doing. And we were discussing how AI can be um, 
use some of the approaches that we've developed in the domain of astrophysics and physics at large. And as years moved forward, I was expecting that the pioneers would develop an intuition about what model works better with certain data sets and problems. And what I've uh, at least encountered and experienced is the opposite. Uh, he, he would say, I'm paraphrasing, is uh, most of the times uh, where we really find an innovative approach in architecture is an area where we expected the architecture to produce uh, the weakest predictive power. So things in the domain of AI and machine learning are not always intuitive. Some of the uh, algorithms that are developed for big data sets actually can, can work and do work in the small data regime as well, but there's a lot of manual intervention that's required that sometimes make it impractical to improve. So there's a lot of cross-pollination between uh, uh, traditional statisticians, which, which has to happen, and the innovative uh, machine learning researchers. But things are not always intuitive, and this is a, a perspective to keep in mind uh, when tackling any uh, problem. This is why me and my team are trying to really build the core capability where we uh, command the uh, capability all the way from standard statistics, applied mathematics, all the way to uh, the next generation machine learning techniques. And we go incrementally about addressing the problem. We benchmark along the way and see really where we can really produce interesting information uh, that our business partners uh, or domain experts can use. And that's why you said at the beginning that the solution is not just technology, but is this entire end-to-end -end chain of all of these pieces coming together, leadership, culture, communication among all of these diverse uh, experts, diverse team, as you described it. Absolutely. It's, it's an ecosystem, Michael. And this is why you know culture and leadership is critically important. We need leaders that can really at least appreciate the intricacies and the value proposition of the technology, but also understands the sensitivities that are coming from individual units uh, and also empowers us to be data-driven and engaging external partners in this journey. Because uh, again, this is a, a one-team journey. We need to embark on that journey together and we really uh, produce value for each other. And one plus one is greater than two along the process. So uh, AI or any of the other uh, uh, processes in isolation does not provide the long-term value proposition that we can really produce together. All right. And with that, I think our time today is drawing to a close. Bulent Kaziltan, thank you so much for coming back and to CXO Talk and sharing your expertise with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Michael. It was great to reconnect with you and your audience. But while we are on it, I wanted to ask you a question because you're putting this uh, fantastic um, podcast together that you know we all drive value. We really um, understand the different perspectives from business leaders, but I, I am pretty sure there are lots of technical intricacies involved. Would you mind sharing some of the challenges from your perspective? To be honest with you, every time I do a show, I think it's a minor miracle and I'm almost kind of astounded that the whole thing works. But, you know, here we are, more than well over 700 of these and seems to work. So, so Belent, thanks for asking. That's a long response, but that's what it is. <laughs> Belent, thank you for being with us today. 
everybody. Thank you for watching, especially those people who ask questions. Now, before you go, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe button at the top of our website so we can sell you, send, send you, so we can send you our newsletter. And be sure to check out CXOTalk.com because we have great shows coming up. Take care, everybody. Have a great day, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye bye.